Tom, thanks very much for joining me this week. Um, I suppose, like Ireland and the UK, everyone's in lockdown, so how are you finding that at the moment? Well, it's so many of people have got it really, really bad. You know, they might have lost loved ones or suffered from coronavirus themselves, even if they've recovered. For me, I, I can't complain, really. Um, there's, I'm, I'm still working, so still getting paid. So that's a big positive, which a lot of people aren't, aren't getting. Um, spending extra time with my son is a bonus. The, the weather here is generally been very good and we've got a garden so he can, you know, we can play outside. And I think in this country, the fact that we're even just allowed to get out the house is so much better than other countries have got it. So me personally, I can't complain, but it is, it's a really, really horrible time for a lot of people. But me personally, I'm all right. As you said, you have that bit of normality, I suppose, that you are still working now. Um, How's that affected, I suppose? Has your hours and days been cut much, I suppose, with the lockdown? Yeah, so we'd normally have nine presenters a day. Most of the shows would be two presenters. Some would only be one. Uh, At the moment, there's only two presenters a day. One person does the first half of the day. One person does the second half of the day. So obviously, we're in nowhere near as often as we would be but that's because we're because of social distancing. The government want us, they, they, they want um, certain professions can still continue and we are one of those, but you have to have in place social distancing and make sure that you're not coming into contact with, well, with anyone, let alone as few people as possible, not coming into contact with anyone. So there's, uh, it's, it's very strange going to work because normally and the car park's packed full. You've got a queue. There's people everywhere. It's a huge like campus, I suppose you'd call it. A huge um, place, loads of people. And you're going in now, and yeah, like I say, I don't even actually come in contact with everyone. Any, with anyone, I'll speak to the producer. Uh, normally, you've got production teams of about twelve people on it. There's, at the moment, there's there's only three. There's one person on the news desk, as opposed to four or five. There's one director, normally in a in a, a television gallery for Sky Sports News, there'd probably be about 20 people in the gallery. At the moment, there is two, a director and a producer. And then, of course, there's one presenter. So there's no, there's no floor managers. There's no, um, I, think there is a, I think there is a sound person that's in to sort out the microphones and everything, but there's no one doing uh, the lighting. It's, there's, barely anyone in so it's it's completely different but we're still going and well done to the bosses for keeping sky sports news going and also making sure that social distancing is adhered to um so they they've done well to keep us going really yeah, I suppose maybe the first week or two, with things being cancelled nearly every day, it was kind of easy. Is there a struggle nearly to generate news these days with no live sport? Well, if, if you think on a weekend, you don't even need to plan anything because there's normally so many games and that's the top, the top story is whatever comes out of those games. You don't even plan that, do you? You see what happens in the games and then you've, you've got your top stories and that's all weekend or a lot of the time midweek nights, there's matches. Um, and now we haven't got any of that. None of that is on a plate. So what we have to do is we have to, we have to dig deeper to find stories. We need to find out uh, 
try and get some inside info from people who are having meetings at the Premier League and the EFL. And when these meetings happen, whether we've got inside info or not, we need to make sure that the viewers, the football fans and, and other sports as well, of course, are completely informed as to what's going on because everybody is asking. People are uh, ringing and texting me every day saying, what do you think is going to happen with this? What do you think is going to happen with that? Everybody wants to know. So we need to make sure that all of the viewers have the answers, whatever answers we can give to those questions. But yeah, it's, this is when you, you kind of prove yourself as a journalist, though. When, you, when stories aren't on a plate, you've got to go and find them. And that's, that's what people get into journalism for. Uh, that buzz of being able to to break a story. We've still been getting transfer stories um, during all this. We we know that clubs are still looking at players, and we can report that. Um, and also setting up interviews. There's a lot of, a lot of airtime to fill. Um, you set up a good interview, and and that can be, you know, that that can be 15 minutes of the output with a really good interview with Premier League player, Premier League manager, someone we don't normally get to speak to because. They're not doing anything and, and they are quite welcoming the opportunity to fill the days by chatting to us. And it's just using your contacts and, and setting those up. So it's, yeah, it, it is more challenging to, to fill the time, but I wouldn't necessarily see that as a negative as a journalist. As you say, and even the football show every Monday 9 to 11, you see managers come on that you wouldn't get usually during the weeks, but it is a changing time um, as this Zoom calls like this. So you kind of have to adapt to the times. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying that show, actually. I think it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. See, normally, we, we get to speak to the manager every week, but it would be a news conference with a lot of journalists in there. Yeah. The manager might not necessarily like all of the journalists. He might not know some of the journalists. And they're quite guarded when they go on a show like that or just if it, it's so much easier when it's a one on one because people open up and you can see these managers and the players, they're much more relaxed. And that's I mean, the, the fact that you know, Dave Jones and Kelly Cates are asking the questions who are excellent broadcasters. And you've got um, uh, like they're, 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 they're also happy to open up to ex-players like Neville Carragher, Redknapp, Sunes. And, you know, you really end up getting the best out of them because they're relaxed. There isn't a press officer sitting next to them. And press officers have got a very, very important job to do. But sometimes they can be a little bit defensive. And I'll say to a player, yeah, just, just, you know, don't answer questions on this, this, this and this. And these players, they're there. There's no one next to them. They're just having a chat. And they're bringing their personalities are coming out. So the players and managers are coming across really well. And it's actually really good TV. And considering when this all started, I wondered if Sky Sports News would even be going on. I thought we might just play reruns of great matches, um, which would still be good TV. People like watching that. But the fact that we've carried on, not only carried on, but we're bringing big name interviews is, is fantastic. And I hope that the viewers are enjoying it as well. Yeah, well, it is good just to get that even... Yeah, even a bit of normality, even I get up, watch the show, um, and it is good to hear from the players, the managers, see how they're um, coping. I suppose we don't know when the Premier League will be will be back. Is there any sort of talk? Um, I think June the 9th was mentioned, but is there any what's happening at the moment? I think, the see, this Thursday, the government uh, are going to give us the an update on the lockdown. Yeah. 
as soon as they do that, whatever, whatever the outcome of that is, suddenly there will be news from the Premier League and the EFL. Scottish Premiership, remember, still hasn't decided either. The, the lower leagues have, but Scottish Premiership still haven't um, decided on their outcome. And as soon as they, let's say on uh, Thursday, if Boris Johnson says, right, we're still in lockdown for two more weeks, everything is put back by two more weeks, right? But there is still two more weeks there of planning to be done, mm. right? And, and proposals, the, the Premier League clubs will come up with proposals which we can report. And um, if Boris Johnson says, right, okay, we're easing the lockdown, and these are the measures that you're able to go out and you're, you're allowed to do this, you're still not allowed to do that and what have you. And football clubs can plan. And uh, in terms of the dates, I, I don't know, but I still think the Premier League, I would be shocked if the Premier League doesn't finish. I'm 50-50 on Leagues 1 and 2, and I've got no idea about the Championship, which is kind of in the middle of those two in terms of the finances. Leagues 1 and Leagues 2, league, Leagues 1 and 2 are struggling, and I wouldn't be surprised if those seasons don't finish. That creates a whole new minefield of do you have promotion relegation? Is it null and void? Do you have promotion but not relegation? What does that mean for the next season? Um, but with uh, the, the Premier League, I still think, I think they'll finish. They can, they can afford to do the testing. And people are saying, oh yeah, but if they can afford to do the testing, why aren't they giving that money to the NHS? Well, Premier League footballers have donated a fortune to the NHS, right? They're not taking tests away from the NHS. These are the tests that are available privately which Premier League clubs can, they are saying that they can afford to do that. And if they can do that and the games continue, they still get the broadcasting money, which is vital to them. And they can, and they can actually finish the season. And not finishing the season causes so many problems, not just with promotion and relegation, but then there will be, certain clubs will definitely uh, yeah. take legal action. And that's, a, that's another problem as well. And, and do you give... Liverpool the title, but if you give Liverpool the title, surely you have to relegate the teams in the bottom three. The easiest thing is just to get it finished. And I still think the Premier League will. Championship, big question mark. Leagues one and two on 50-50. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, if you finish the Premier League, but the Championship doesn't finish, like what happens relegation? You have Leeds who want to get back up to the Premier League. kind of has a knock-on effect for every, every league and there's no right or wrong answer at the moment. Yeah, I think that's um, that's why the authorities, the sort of the, the Premier League and the EFL, uh, they are desperate to finish it because it takes away all of those problems. But it just might not be possible to finish it for um, for various reasons. I mean, there'll certainly be no fans. Yeah. I don't know about the neutral venues. I also don't really understand the need for it to be at neutral venues. I've, I've never really had a decent explanation as to that. But certain clubs are also not happy about that. I'd be very upset if Premier League clubs who were down at the bottom kicked up a fuss saying, we don't want to end the season. And their reasoning was because, you know, they're in a relegation battle and ending the season would mean they stay up. I would, be, I would, I would hate that because that yeah. showed no integrity. And I quite, yeah, quite like Daniel Farker, Norwich at bottom, uh, well, they're in the bottom three. Yeah. And he said, I mean, he wants the season finished. And then you've got people like, um, I mean, Crystal Palace, for instance, sorry, I'm just 
adjusting myself. The um, Crystal Palace, for instance, they're not going down. Roy Hodgson is in the critical category. Roy Hodgson still wants to finish the season. And when you say, right, well, Roy Hodgson, who is deemed to be in, in danger of coronavirus, actually wants to go back to work and wants to finish the season. Someone will turn around and say, oh, yeah, but they're not getting relegated, so he doesn't care. Well, hold on. Every single club is saying that the health of the players and staff comes first. But their first reaction to that when I talk about Roy Hodgson is, oh, yeah, but that's because they can't get relegated. Well, that's definitely not putting health first if the first thing they say is actually about survival and, and either going down or staying up. And that's finances. So I'm just not convinced that everybody, everybody is saying that they're putting the health and safety of their players and staff first. I'm not convinced that certain clubs are. And that is, is the kind of most upsetting thing for me about this. Um, because it is just a lot better for everyone. And who's that? the fans want the season finished. Even if fans can't go, but fans want to watch it on TV. Fans love their football club. And, the, and, and fans aren't really being discussed in this either. So I, I think the Premier League, for, for, for all those reasons, will finish. Yeah, I think the talk is now that it's kind of nearly a divide. You have the, you know, the top 13, 14. I think the bottom six are now sort of talking up, the, again, the neutral venues. And again, you don't want that. I, I know health and everything is the, the main importance in all this but you don't want to use a virus to get out of a bad situation that you basically got yourselves in no exactly i'm just going to move because i'm uh, i've not made myself very comfortable here let me just go and get a get a chair i'll just uh this is no good for you with me moving all around the place <laughs> hang on i have to i have to kick my girlfriend out of where it is you waiting in here? Right, hang on. No, it's all right. Do it here. All right, this should be better. There you go. I'll rest it. I'm also on a birthday cake. That should be fine. Right. That. Right, that's much better. Right. Um, so yeah, we'll move on to yourself, I suppose. Um, how did you get into sort of the television? What was the the past towards where you are now? Well, I was at, um, at university doing um, doing media, um, and my plan was to always. The only reason I did that course was to try to get to Sky. And I managed to get some work. It's quite difficult to work experience at Sky. I managed to get some with a year left of my course and the work experience uh, ended up with me getting some paid shifts as a runner so making the teas and coffee so I actually was doing some running shifts in my last year of uni I still finished uni and then just carried on full-time as a runner and worked my way up from there so so getting so getting into Sky was like I don't want to say it was there was luck involved because it was hard to get the work experience. And then I had to, um, when I was there, I'd obviously worked so hard that I impressed that they gave me some proper shifts. And that was me, that was me in Sky then. And I was, I was ready there to sort of, I was at the very bottom of a ladder. There was a ladder I wanted to be on. 
and I was able to work my way up from there. But getting into Sky was purely by applying for work experience, getting it, and working hard enough to kind of stay there. Yeah, I suppose even a lot of things, you just need that that one break source just to get into something. Um, and yeah, you do need that bit of luck. Um, so you get into Sky, was it just how many years were you a runner? So I was a runner for two or three, well, it would be, uh, it was August 2004 until about October 2006. Over two years, I was a runner. Um, and there's, runners are kind of beef because it's kind of, it's not really a great way to sort of treat someone who has worked, worked hard to get a, a, a degree or, or these days it would be a, a journalism quite like the NCTJ or something, the, a journalism qualification. And then to just have them making teas and coffees and, and just doing whatever you were told to do. I don't think that's a great way to treat someone. I think that's just the way it was back then. And I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm not complaining. I really enjoyed it. I got a lot out of it. Um, and it, you know, it toughened me up as well. But that—that's kind of that—that—that's um, kind of kind of gone now. And, and good people, when they get the job, they've already got the journalism qualification, and they actually come in and do some journalism, as opposed to what what anybody could do. So I was I was a, a runner for yeah over two years, but it was great. I met a lot of my heroes. Um, I am. Ended up going to the Champions League final in 2006, which was Arsenal-Barcelona. Barcelona won a late goal from um, Belletti, who ended up signing up for Chelsea not so long after. So, and that was in Paris. So I'm certainly not complaining about those few years. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Hard work with not a lot of money. And that's when I got the move to, to Sky Sports News to be an editorial assistant. So when you see the... Um, the breaking news on the bottom of the screen, that would be me typing it up. Yeah. The tables, the, the, the Premier League tables and the fixtures on the side of the screen, that would be me. And then from there, it was up to sub-editor, which was cutting the interviews that came in, writing the script, writing the links, uh, cutting the picture. If you're talking about someone being injured, you find the clip of them getting injured, but the words to it for the presenter to read. And from there, I went on to be a reporter and then presenter and started presenting in August 2011. So it was seven years between that first shift, well, work experience, I suppose, to my first shift as a presenter. It was almost to the day, seven years. Yeah, so is it hard to get and it's noticed? Like, what sort of things you just have to stand out from the crowd? Is it just to move up that ladder? The, the, the hardest thing was um, showing patience because you're thinking, God, there's so many times you think this isn't going to happen for me. This is what I want to do. Yeah. I'm working hard towards it. And sometimes you feel like you're not getting anywhere. But actually you are. Because the more you do, the more, the more journalism you do, and the more, you, um, the, the more you're learning. And you might think, yeah, but this is nothing to do with being a, a presenter, like a broadcast journalist. Yeah, I'm becoming a better journalist. But that is all so helpful and you don't realize how much you are helping yourself. You think, oh yeah, but I need to get on camera. I need to do, I need to practice presenting somehow. Actually, no, you don't. You need to learn how to structure a story. And if you're reporting, you need to know the best way of, of interviewing someone. 
uh, then you need to know the best way of putting that together in a package and telling the story properly for the viewers. Um, all of the rest will come if you put that hard work in. And it was just very much a case of I worked my socks off um, and a lot of people in the same situation me decided, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm moving on to potentially a different um, company or potentially a different career in all. And it was, it, was the pa- uh, it was the patience that was the hardest thing, just working and working and working and hoping that it was going to get you to where you wanted to be, which thankfully for me, it worked. Oh, you get that finally that um, in front of the camera, the first day, I suppose, what was it like? You see sort of the red light come on. Is it just a completely new world because you were behind the scenes for so many years? It was, it was amazing because I'd, it, it was, um, I was on 7pm till 10pm on that, that first time. I got in at 2pm, which is very early. And every hour I was thinking, I'm going to get nervous now. Yeah. I'm going to get nervous now. And it kept going and kept going. And you know, I was got got changed, got 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 to make up and everything, and ready to go on. And I'm still thinking, well, the nerves are going to come soon. And they actually never did. They never they never did. So red light comes on, like you say, and get started. It was me and Vicky Gomesall. She was presenting with me. We had a guest on as well, Trevor Stephen. He used to play for Rangers in, in England, because um, Rangers were playing a game in the Europa League at the time, and so he was updating it. And it just never came. And the, the nerves, I mean, they, they, they never came, which was a, a nice surprise for me. And a lot of people I know say that they, they couldn't deal with the nerves. They just wanted to, they just wanted to like go home. They, and then you've got other people like Natalie Sawyer felt the same, same way as me. She came up in a similar sort of way as I did. She started as a runner too. Um, she got there quicker than me, but she started as a runner and her nerves never came either. So it, it's strange because you, you don't, I can't put that down to anything. I can't, sometimes people say to me, what's the best way to deal with the nerves? I actually don't know the answer because you can't stop the nerves. And I wouldn't say nerves are a bad thing either. Um, they just never actually came for me, but I, I loved it. It was a real, very proud moment for me because I'd worked so hard for it. And it was like proof that, Everything you're always told, especially from your family, keep working hard, you'll get what you deserve. Keep working hard, keep working hard. And you think, I'm not sure if that's true. And that was vindication that actually all along, all those people that say that to you, I've, I'm one of them now because I'm living proof that if you just work your socks off, I think you're going to get to where you want to be. Yeah, so you've been with, um, I suppose, presenting eight, nine years now. What would, I mean, before the virus, what would a normal week sort of entail for you? Yeah, so uh, I do uh, four shifts a week. Now, uh, three of those could be at any time, but one of them is Saturday, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. There's a show called Goals Express, which I present, and I love it. People think, you know, people don't want to be at work on a Saturday, but I do, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk you through a Saturday for me, right, um, work-wise. I'd get into work about 2 p.m., all right, so three hours before. I'd watch the lunchtime game, watch the first half of the lunchtime game at home, the lunchtime Premier League game, listen to the second half in the radio on the way into work, get in for 2 o'clock, get myself all set up, 
they'd be every single Premier League game on screens above me, every single Championship games on screen screens above me, every single Scottish Premiership game on screens above me, and the odd League One, League Two game jotted around as well. And I've got all of this. So three o'clock kickoff comes, and I've got all of those games yeah. to watch. I mean, people would pay a fortune to be there, right? And there I am with my co-presenter, a guy called Julian Waters, who I think is the best. I absolutely love him, right? He's brilliant. We sit there every Saturday and we like, we just, we actually can't believe our luck. We're watching all of these games. And that's our prep because we, we can't do anything else until these games are finished. Seeing these goals, seeing the story, seeing a red card, that's our prep. I mean, that's, that's not work. But on a Saturday, for me and him, that is. Then the games finish, you know, just before five o'clock. And although there's a 5.30 game, which we, which we update from the Premier League, um, really, we are then just showing the goals from those games. Premier League, we have to wait till match the day finish because they've got the rights. Yeah. But all of the games from the Championship, League One, League Two, Scottish Premiership, we're showing those goals. Uh, and the, the best of the action and it, it absolutely flies by and while all that's going on we're, we're also updating you on the Premier League game which with a guest I mean what is like what's better than that what a day and then I finish at nine o'clock home by ten on a Saturday it's just it's absolutely brilliant and that's works so a typical Saturday for me is just Absolutely brilliant. I'm loath to even take them off. I sometimes I have to take Saturdays off because of my son. Sometimes I have to take Saturdays off um, because because now that some of them are in League One, I can't watch them every time. I'm a Sunderland fan. Can't can't watch them all the time on um, at work because we don't always have League One games or not Sunderland. So I, I sometimes book it off so I can go to the games, um, which is which is worth it and everything. But I don't like missing the Saturdays because they're so good. As for the other three shifts. It's a case of getting in three hours early to do all your prep and get yourself dressed and ready to go on air. Um, and, and all of those shifts are completely different because it all depends on the stories. It all depends on what the live sport is going on. It's Saturday is absolutely my favourite. So busy and a lot of hard work, but every single bit of it is, is very enjoyable. Yeah, I suppose for Saturday... It wouldn't be probably a lot of autocue base. You kind of nearly have to react to it as you as you see and as as the goals come in. Yeah, exactly. You can't script. Um, well, first of all, you can't script breaking news. Anytime you yeah. you, you present to do breaking news, because um, I think that's one thing that that people ask me actually to say. So is is everything on the autocue, um, and and that's and that's that's a fair question, and the answer. is, no, definitely not. So, so breaking news, when you see breaking news, that, that's why, as, as a presenter on Sky Sports News, any broadcast journalist, you really have to know your subject. Because if breaking news comes in and you're not across the whole background to that story, it, it's going to show. So all of that is off the top of your head. So you, that's where your prep comes in or just your general knowledge, the if, like, for instance, I don't particularly like golf, but I watch it so that if there's a breaking golf story, at least I know what I'm talking about, even though I don't actually like it. Um, so breaking news, you can't script. If, you, if there's a, a live game going on, football, cricket, rugby, union, rugby league, whatever it is, when we're updating that, obviously you can't script that yeah. because it's live. Um, and if you've got guests on set, you, 
you could ask someone to do the questions for you, but no self-respecting broadcast journalist would because they believe that, understandably, that their quest, they're going to write questions better than anyone else because that's the way we are. So none of that, that's all, um, that's all you. So you're talking now, less than 50% of it is, is um, on auto cue, and a lot of that would be you scripting it anyway. So it's still your words. Yeah, do you find it challenging, I suppose, with so many sports that Sky covered? Uh, was football always the main one? I suppose like, I wouldn't be a cricket fan, so I wouldn't know so much about that. So would you have to keep an eye on every single sport that Sky cover, really? Yeah, so, I mean, for me, football, I'd, I'd back my knowledge of football against anyone in, in the whole industry. I'd, I'd back my knowledge of football just because all I do is watch football. I'll yeah. just talk about football. I'm, I'm sad like that. Honestly, that's all I, all I care about. And I love going to football matches, even non-league, which we don't even report on. Yeah. Um, so football, no problem. Cricket, love cricket, no problem. Rugby union, no problem. Rugby league, no problem. Golf and F1, I just, I'm not a massive fan. Um, it can still be very, it can still be quite gripping when you watch it. Um, but that's something that I, I knew a long time ago that I needed to do. I needed to do more research, put more effort into it. And the best way of doing that is watching it. The Formula One, if the, if the Grand Prix's on, just watch it. If there's golf on, and remember, there's, there's golf on, the, the PGA Tour and the European Tour, Thursday till Sunday, four days of golf, uh, four days of live golf, most weeks, two different events going on. Then you've got the Masters and the ladies golf as well. There's so much golf that you can watch. There's no excuse to not watch it, even just for, it. you don't have to watch the whole day. Keep watching it, see who's, who's leading, see what the stories are. Maybe the story isn't the leader. Maybe the story is that the world number one is in danger of missing the cut. And, and the best way of doing the research is just, is just to watch it. And let's be honest, that's, that's not that hard, is it? To, to watch sport all day. Um, it's certainly something you'll, you'll never hear me complain about. But yeah, if, you will know which sports are not your forte. Don't just brush them to the side and think, I'm not bothered do more work on those because for me and for you the football will just come naturally it's the others that you need to do the work on in terms of breaking news i suppose was there one story that came up whilst you're whilst you're alive and you think wow i'm breaking this to the people i think that it's actually the the ones that i remember most are are actually stories that that I have, when, I, when, I, when you say break them, I think you mean being on air and reading yeah. out the story. Um, actually, the, the ones that matter to me are the ones that, where I've been at the heart of that story. Like, I'm the one who's been, when you see Sky Sources, yeah. it's me. They're the ones that mean the most to me because I've been on top of that story all the way through it. And there it is. It's done. I've been right all along. And, and there, for me, they are often transfer stories so um Raheem Sterling to Manchester City from Liverpool was a summer long saga and it was it messed with my head because all day every day I was getting phone calls about it right from from my sources right plural because you never just trust one um from people at work saying we need we, we really need an update on this today and 
I was so happy when it was over, but it was all, it was all worth it. You know, there's a lot of arguments as well with it. People saying, oh, I don't think we can run that because, um, yeah, we're not sure if we trust your source. And I'm saying, well, well, you trusted it last week and everything was right. So why aren't you trusting it this week? And it, it's, it's, um, it's kind of vindication when, when that story is there on the breaking news and you've done it. There's a huge satisfaction to that, which some people see Sky Sports News presenters as just people who, like I say, go up and, and read autocue. We're not. We're, we're journalists. We're broadcast journalists. And they are, our job is to, we've got lots of things that we have to do. Like we've got to be good interviewers. Um, we, we've got to have good knowledge of sport, but also we've got to have good contacts. And breaking stories is a huge part of that. So the Raheem Sterling one sticks out. Um, uh, but before that, I've, I've always had, um, I've always broken stories when Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has moved and he's been in some, some big ones. Um, I broke, as a Sunderland fan, broke that Paolo Di Canio had got the Sunderland job. I broke the fact that Paolo Di Canio had, um, had been sacked. So they mean a lot to me because I'm a, I'm a, a Sunderland fan. But this, the story that broke that I was on, which I had, had nothing to do with, of course, because this is, um, you know, it's a, it's a death. Um, but um, there was a, a young Sunderland fan called Bradley Lowry, who you may remember, he had a, a rare form of cancer and um, was terminally ill. And his parents and, and Sunderland, um, as a club, managed to get him to go to games and basically become best friends with Jermaine Defoe, who was Sunderland's best striker at the time, one of the best strikers I've ever seen in the Premier League, let alone in a Sunderland shirt. And I was on air the day that he, that, that, uh, that he passed away. And it was horrible because I had a, my son had only just been born. I was a Sunderland fan, so I knew people who knew him. And that stands out as a very, very sad story. Um, and my, my voice must have been going as I was breaking it because everyone was asking if I was okay, if I wanted to come off set. And I was fine. Um, I didn't feel like I was going to cry or anything. I was very upset. I didn't realise, didn't think I was, but it was obviously coming across in my voice. And they're the hard ones because I, I've been on when, when Ray Wilkins died. We all knew Ray Wilkins. We loved him. He was such a gentleman. And I was on when Chet Teote died and my co-presenter, Pete Graves, he knew him, right? So that was very hard for, for him. And, and I mean, death's hard for anyone, but especially when you know them. Uh, they're, they're the ones that stick out and they're very, um, you know, they're really, really sad ones. But in, in terms of the, the, the big ones, in terms of transfer stories and managerial changes, the ones that I've actually been at the centre of are the ones that stick out the most. As you said, it's kind of the the upside of you get your source, um, you break the news, that's the good side. And then you have, I suppose, sad stories like that. So, I mean, kind of just shows that you're not just a robot kind of just reading off an autocue. It's kind of just, a, there's a story behind that as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's been people, there's been deaths and um, a presenter has ended up having to, has ended up breaking down and having to go off air. There's no shame in that. I mean, why shouldn't we be upset about, about something so sad, especially if you know that person? I mean, it's even, I mean, I wasn't on air when Gary Speed died, but I mean, that was, I remember it being such a sad time, a really sad time. And so many of the presenters knew him personally. Um, and it was, it, it was horrible. And, and there's, um, yeah, the, the, the Ray Wilkins one as well. I remember when Graham Taylor died, the presenter that was on knew him. So he broke down. 
Um, and it's, yeah, you've got, people might say, oh, that's unprofessional. What a load of nonsense. Yeah. It's not unprofessional to actually be upset when someone dies. Um, it, it, it's nonsense. And, and, and yeah, I, I, don't, I think things have changed. I think there was maybe a time when newsreaders were like robots. They were just reading the news. Not anymore. You, your personality comes across because part of that social media, actually, because people's personality is coming across on social media. Um, and also, it's, uh, certainly at Sky, I don't know about other places, but at Sky, we are supposed to have a more relaxed technique. Now, if you have a more relaxed technique, your personality is going to come out. So I don't think people see, see us as robots now anyway. Um, but I think that there probably, a time, there probably was a time when, when, when we were seen as that. So I suppose the time you probably have to be the most reactive uh, to breaking stories, uh, deadline day, uh, what's it like? Yeah. It's kind of a bit crazy at times, sort of stories left, right and centre coming in. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, and deadline day writes itself. You don't need a script for deadline day. You've got your reporters at every ground and they just ring in and say, right, I've got something. And we go to them, right, done. Okay, so you, you throw to... Um, you throw to, to Keith Downey at St. James's Park, right? Go and then, and, and, and so on. Um, and sometimes, um, sometimes a transfer will completely catch us by surprise. We'll only find out because the club put it on their official website and on Twitter. It's like, right, well, there's a story, breaking news here. That's happened, okay? And then we've got our reporters um, who are not just on the road, but in the, in the studio, in, in the office, making calls saying, right, okay, our source is telling us that this is happening. They've made a bid for them. And actually, although for, like, technically and stuff, it's um, logistically, it's very, very tough for the people organising all that. As journalists, it's actually an easy day in terms of, it's very, very busy, but it's easy in terms of you don't need to worry about putting rundowns together and, and writing scripts necessarily because it, it, it writes itself that the, the stories are going to be there all day. Um, and, and we just need to make sure we, we get them before anyone else. Yeah. I mean, I remember was it 2011, which is watching, um, Fernando Torres going to Chelsea, Andy Carroll said yeah. suddenly he was going to Newcastle, uh, from Newcastle to Liverpool. It was just one of those crazy um, days and it goes right up to the deadline as well. Yeah, and, uh, and that one was because I, I, back then, I had a year, in between being a reporter and a presenter, I had a year um, as a, a radio presenter and producer at Sky Sports News Radio, which was in Leeds. It, was only, it wasn't around very long and I was only there for for a year I was kind of on loan to kind of take me from being a reporter to a presenter it was like okay well let's get him to present on radio and um, as a different skill so that's the bit I kind of missed out just because I have to explain the fact that there was a Sky Sports News radio that is no longer there um, and I remember that one because I was on the radio for that one and it was like Torres's form had dropped but Liverpool didn't want to sell him 50 million to Chelsea, right? That was, that was a lot of money. Like, Liverpool weren't going to reject, reject that. But everyone could see that, I mean, Andy Carroll, I thought he was, I mean, injuries have, have, have ruined him, but I thought he was brilliant, honestly. The, 
I used to see him play as a youngster at Newcastle and he just tore teams apart. But he could never be a replacement for Torres. Now, a transfer you may have missed, you missed out that day is actually Carroll, um, Andy Carroll and Luis Suarez signed for Liverpool. Yeah. Suarez ended up being the, Suarez was more of a gamble. But Suarez ended up being the Torres replacement and ended up yeah. being doing doing better. So certainly doing better than, than Torres at Chelsea, I should say. Um, and Carroll, I was everyone was saying I can't believe it's thirty five million pounds. Mike Ashley made sure that thirty five million pounds was up front rather than spread over four years uh, with add ons and stuff that most transfers are. Thirty five million pounds up front for Andy Carroll, and I was probably the only one saying. Honestly, it's a good signing. It's honestly, it's a good sign. Newcastle fans didn't want him to go, even though thirty-five million was coming in, um, and it just didn't work out for him. And then when Brendan Rodgers came in, he didn't want a striker like that, and and his career has, has just gone. But I remember, you're right. The excitement of that on deadline day was amazing. But I actually thought that Liverpool were getting the, the good end of the bargain with that one. And with Suarez, they did, but it just didn't work out with with um, with Carroll. Yeah, I suppose transfers like if one player leaves a club, then that club is then suddenly looking for a player themselves. And it just has that sort of rolling knock-on effect. And that creates the sort of panic amongst clubs, I suppose, on deadline day that they have feel like they have to get a replacement in. Yeah, I think the best-run clubs don't do much on deadline day. Yeah. And if they do, it's because they've actually, it might look like it's come out of the blue, but they've probably been tracking them for a long, long time. And suddenly they've got the green light. Um, but, but yeah, I think also quite often, especially in January, a manager might have only just come in. Like in the, in the summer, a manager's got all summer to shape his squad. In January, someone might only get the job in the middle of January and they want to completely overhaul the squad, which is great from a television perspective and an excitement for the fans and stuff. But for that club, they can often end up being um, being being stung because of it, and, and managers maybe having like a desperate need to change the squad, and um, doesn't always work out. I suppose in terms of fact checking, um, you get source source tells you a deal's on the cards. Do you go to the producer, or do you just trust the source and just go with it? No. So let's say. Let's say, I mean, a source can be, it's usually someone at the club like a chief executive, chairman, sometimes an owner, a lot of the times a manager, rarely a player, funnily enough, but, but sometimes a player. Um, and it can be an agent. So let's say a, a source tells me a story about uh, they've, they've had a bit accepted for a player. I can't just go with that. Sky Sports News can't just go with that. Interestingly, other forms of media can and do. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what would happen. Um, someone, my source tells me that um, Manchester City have made a verbal offer for Raheem Sterling from Liverpool. Right. So this is a, an actual scenario that, that, that happened with me. I phoned the news desk, okay? and say, right, this is what I've got from my source. I trust the source. You know this source has been right for me all the way through this deal. We still can't go with it until we've phoned both clubs. 
So we need to phone someone at both clubs. If we've got the manager's number, great. Chief executive director of football, someone like that. Phone them and say, right, we're going to go with this. Out of courtesy, we're saying, right, we trust our source. We're going to go with this story. Um, if they confirm it, perfect. If they say no comment, it's basically a green light. If they say, well, that, well, if you run that, it's not true. It's absolutely not true. Then we have to rethink. But then we also have to phone the other club and get an answer from them. So it's complicated because one club might say, yeah, okay, you can go with that. One club might say, no, absolutely not happening. Then you've got to really trust your source. And is it worth it? Is the story big enough that if we get it wrong, we're going to look stupid? So sometimes you have to kind of actually not run it because there is a chance you're going to look stupid. And the, the best thing is that if you, this, and this happens quite a lot, if you really trust your source and the club says, no, it's not true, and we run it anyway, we make them, what we can say is, we understand that Raheem Sterling um, is on his way to Manchester City for a medical. This one's hypothetical. Um, we have contacted Liverpool who are denying the story. Then an hour later, Liverpool might have it on their official website. Liverpool give permission for Raheem Sterling to have a medical at Manchester City. And we've made the club look stupid because they've denied it, you see. And no, you don't want to do that. You never, ever want to do that. But it's like, if you trust your, your source well enough, you can run that story, but you've got to be absolutely certain. It's very rare that you see Sky sources on the breaking news and, and it's not true. Very, very rare. Yeah, it's kind of just building that credibility up through the years. I mean, you go onto Twitter, it's kind of got to the stage where transfers that some journalists might just jump with it and guess. And if it comes off, they look like, you know, they've got the news first and other times it doesn't come off at all. So it's kind of just keeping that credibility, I suppose, that if you do break it, this is, you know, the actual news. Yeah, and the, the, the wording's very interesting. If you see a story in a well, newspaper online and it says, um, who, who do you support? Liverpool. Liverpool. Uh, say it says, um, if the wording says, uh, Liverpool could make a move for uh, Antman, right? Could, very weak, okay? Because yes, they could but so could Sunderland. Unlikely, but could. That's uh, interesting. If it says Liverpool will make a bid for Antoine Griezmann, all right, okay. That's more, all right, you know, you sit up and take notice. If it says Liverpool have made a bid for Antoine Griezmann, they should be pretty sure that that bid's gone in, all right? So the wording is quite interesting. Some people say, I read in the story that... Um, I read, it, I read in the newspaper that, that um, Liverpool um, are in for Antoine Griezmann. And I'll look at the wording and I'll say, no, that's, that's weak. Whereas if it says they've made a bid, then, you know, they probably have. And if, they says they've actually, if it says they've actually signed him, you've got to be pretty sure that that journalist is right at the centre of it. Yeah, in terms of transfers this summer, do you think there'll be much action? I mean, 
I think I heard someone say, I think only th- I was a Premier League chairman or someone, only three clubs might be able to sign players. Maybe that would be Manchester United, Liverpool possibly. Do you think there'd be much transfer activity this summer? Yeah, it was, it was Damien Camoli, the, well, your former director of football and Tottenham's former director of football. He said that an agent had told him only three clubs could afford to buy. That would be uh, Manchester United. It would be Newcastle if their takeover oh. goes through. Um, and I would imagine Liverpool. Um, I don't know why Manchester, I think then straight away there's Manchester City, so maybe they weren't including Newcastle. But um, yeah. I think, I don't, let's say they decide that the season is not going to end until the end of the summer. When does the transfer window open and how long is it going to yeah. be? That's the thing. And there's going to be so many, I know a, a sporting director at a Premier League club who has been offered players that he could only dream about having, right? Because clubs are desperate to get some money in. Because if, if, you, yeah. if you're losing all this money, you have to try and claw it back somehow. And what are their best assets? The players. They're the most valuable assets. They can't up the ticket prices because fans can't come in anyway. So there are some, they're going to be, some, some big name players available but can anyone actually afford to buy yeah. them so it's, it's a very hard one to predict and there are going to be so many players who are let go on free transfers when their contract expires because it cuts down the wage bill even if they were going to be offered one but that means they're available on a free so clubs are going to be like alright well we'll go for him because he's not costing us anything it could be Really, really interesting. I definitely wouldn't expect to be quiet, but I think it's certainly going to be different to previous windows. Yeah, I suppose even the talk is that some of the bigger clubs might exploit, um, you know, see the smaller clubs' prize assets, maybe get them on a, a cheaper deal. I mean, Newcastle suddenly could, could be signing players that they wouldn't have been dreaming about only two, three months ago. Yeah, well, as a Sunderland fan, I hope yeah. not. <laughs> Um, so I think we'll just wrap that up Tom thanks very much for coming on my pleasure anytime Um, keep an eye on the channel I have more videos coming soon